on Jesus because as we abide in Christ his love for us begins to change the way we love other people it's his love that drives a new way to be human a new way to live and it's not a carnal thing it's not us pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps it's a spirit inspired transformation and I don't know about you but I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and I'm grateful for what he's done and I'm so grateful he ain't finished yet If you're honest with yourself, it won't take you too long to come up with a list of times you've struggled to love other people well. Passages like the one Pastor Daniel will share with you today challenge you to live differently. But you can't make these changes yourself. Only Jesus can do this transformational work in you. Pastor Daniel today urges you to focus on the Lord. Let Him do a radical work in your life so that you can love like He does. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 12 as he begins his message, Behave. So whether we like it or not, the ways that we act really tell the story of what we believe. It's easy to say that we believe a set of things, but the only way to really know what someone believes is to see how they act, you know? And, and if you think about that, that's kind of a terrifying thought, isn't it? Because if you think about the way that you've acted over the last week, you're like, I don't know if I like what that says about who I am. You know, it's funny. Uh, I remember when I started reading uh, leadership books and I remember I was caught by a title of a book that I thought was so important. It really kind of blew my mind. And the idea says, is don't give me a grade, just teach me how to get an A. And the idea of the book was, and it was funny because it was at a time when I was thinking about, you know, like, you know, employee reviews, this kind of thing. There's all these questions that you have about how you do things. And then that idea, like, don't give me a grade, teach me how to get an A. And I started thinking back to when I was in school, how my very favorite professors in school were the ones who told us exactly what they wanted. If you want to get an A in this class, this is what you have to do. Because there was no questions about what was expected. And isn't it true that when the expectations are clearly explained, then at that point, a person gets to choose, do I want to fulfill those expectations or do I not want to, right? And I remember like that for me as, as a leader, I started to think to myself, I don't ever want someone to have to guess or I don't want to sit back in and judge. Or I want to say, this is how you get an A, right? And, and what's amazing is, is today we're going to look at a text that I am so grateful for, because in a lot of ways, this is a text that explains to us, this is what a Christian is supposed to look like. This is how, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to behave. Now, here's the thing, right as I say that, it's like, there's a bunch of red flags that start going up in my theological mind, because the Bible says that we're saved by grace apart from works, Right. So what I want to talk with you about today is not if you act this way, God will accept you. That's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not saying if you don't do this, then you're in deep, deep, deep trouble. No, 
Really what it is, is that when somebody believes in Jesus, they're accepted by God. Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But as you and I abide in Jesus, Jesus begins to change our behavior. By us finding our life in Christ, Jesus' life begins to push into our life in such a way that our the way that we live changed. So I don't want you to focus on your behavior. Really, my encouragement today is I want you to focus on Jesus. And if you focus on Jesus, Jesus will change your behavior. So this isn't like a self-improvement plan. Didn't I just drop a whole bunch of stuff right in the center of the church? Like, oh, here we go. You know, but here's the deal. I realize not everyone is a follower of Jesus. And, and really, being a follower of Jesus means that we, a person has put their faith and trust in who Jesus is, his death and his resurrection on the cross for our sins, his resurrection conquering sin and death. And then, once we believe in Jesus, then we abide in Jesus, like a branch abides in the trunk of a tree. And just as the branch gets its life from the trunk, the follower of Jesus derives their life not from themselves, but from Christ. Right? And so it's the life of Christ in our broken lives. Right? But the thing is, is Jesus has this amazing way of taking our broken lives and transforming them. And so today... We are going to be spending time in a text that I have spent lots of time in. And I'll be honest with you, I love the fact that I was in this text this week. Because I had one of those weeks, I always like to tell people that some days you're the bug, and some days you're the windshield. You ever hear that phrase before? Well, so this past week has been kind of one of those weeks where I just felt like the bug that smashed on the windshield. And, you know, because it started raining, then the windshield wiper starts going over the bug. It smashed on the windshield. I kind of felt like that this week. And all week long, because there's a number of things that went on that just kind of broke my heart, things that made me sad, situations that went on that were so like, oh, man, you know. And But the fact that I was in this text really helped me this week because I kept seeing This is what it looks like when I'm in Christ. This is what it looks like when I abide in Jesus. If I don't let all my feelings and all these things overrun my better judgment, this is what my life begins to look like. And so without further ado, open up those Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. That, you know, that second half of Romans chapter 12. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you to church, Please, 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 please. I want you to open up a Bible. I want you to be able to read along because you're going to want to go back and refer to this. There is so much here in this text. Now, the book of Romans is pretty easy to find. It's uh, one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's longest letters in the New Testament after the four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. Then you have Paul's letters, which Romans sits uh, in first place here, at least in our, in our Bible. And I've just called this message, Behave. Or uh, if you were Austin Powers, oh, behave. (laughs) Okay, look what it says. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Now, If you're abiding in Christ, what we learn here is that you're going to love the right way. You're going to love the right way. Because notice what it says. It says, let 
love be without hypocrisy. Or some of your translation says, love with sincerity. The idea of hypocrisy, the word hypocrite in the Greek, it was literally, it was a theater term of somebody, an actor or a character who really had two different masks and they played both parts. So the idea of being two-faced is actually a literal translation of the word hypocrite. Somebody who can speak out of both sides of their mouth, so to speak. And so the idea is that for the person who abides in Jesus, obviously love is supposed to be the calling card, but not just any love. A love that has been purified by Christ. It's really the love of God that has been mediated to our lives in Christ by the Spirit, that now the Spirit works through our lives and the same love comes through us. A love that is without any mixture. A love that is truly sincere. Right? And I think what's amazing is that every single person loves, but only in Christ does love happen without hypocrisy. Like, I always say that the problem with the word love is the fact that everybody does it, but except in Christ, it's wrong. Because like when you love in a self-centered way, you're loving with hypocrisy. Because the word agape in the Greek language literally means a self-sacrificial love. Not a self-exalting love, but a love that seeks the betterment of the other. And Jesus is the embodiment of that. And so really what we learn right away is that we have to love the right way. But love is primary. And if it's not sincere, it's not real love. It's simply pretense. So in every situation, you and I need to learn how to love the right way. Now, you see, I mean, you got to love this. Like, I can just stop there and we can unpack loving the right way. Let love be without hypocrisy. We can spend the next two years studying it and not even scratch the surface, right? Like, try to just write in, in all the relationships you have. Where is there a way that you are loving, but it's without sincerity? Where there's pride involved, there's your insecurities involved, there's the ways that you're angling to get the things that you want. And I mean, it's, I'm talking gnarly stuff, right? Just be honest. But right there, you want to behave as a Christian, you let your love be without hypocrisy, with sincerity. You love the right way. Now, what's beautiful is the Apostle Paul starts to give us ways that we do this, some characteristics, so to speak, of how do we love without hypocrisy? Look, that's what it says. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That's the, the middle of verse nine. And so the idea is that hypocritical love embraces evil, right? So anytime there's anything that's evil involved, uh, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 said, uh, love, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Same idea. So anytime our love for somebody embraces anything that's evil, it actually is loving in a hypocritical way. It's an insincere love, right? And so the idea of abhorring, it means a, a strong reaction in the negative to evil. But instead of abhor, just abhorring evil, we cling to what is good, the things that pertain to goodness. And, and not only that, it, it says that we should be kindly affectionate to one another. I mean, think about that. Love is patient. Love is what? Kind. Yeah. You should be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And that word brotherly love is one of the other words in the Greek language for, for love. That word phileo, which the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, right? 
So, so this idea is not just self-sacrificial love, but having familial love. The, the kind of love that is embracing, that sees ourselves as in this thing together. And of course, I'm reminded of what the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love said, 1 John 4, verses 19 to 21. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, think about that. Really what it's saying is that the way that we love God is by loving others. The way that we show our love for God is by loving other people. So when I say, God, I want to love you more, God always says, I want you to love Lynn better. I want you to love your kids. I want you to love the Crossroads family. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love all these people. Because love without hypocrisy, a a truly pure love, doesn't need to receive love in return to be given. So we're kindly affectionate with brotherly love. And not only that, and I I mean, this is so amazing. In honor, the middle of verse 10, giving preference to one another. Wow. So you realize what I just said there, that in honor, if you abide in Jesus, you begin to give preference to other people before yourself. Now, isn't that a buzzkill in a self-centered generation? Gosh. You know, like I was talking to somebody the other day, like, well, I don't understand how you can be a Christian. I'm like, I totally agree that you don't understand. It makes total sense. Because our generation says, give preference to yourself, what you want. And then it says, in honor, giving preference to one another. And it's just like, this is so countercultural. This goes so against the ideals of the culture in which we've been raised. A culture that says, it's all about what you want. You get yours. It doesn't matter who you got to step over. And even if you want to do it in an ethical way, it's okay. As long as no one really gets hurt. And then the Bible says, hey, listen, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with kindness. Oh yeah, no miss the fact in honor. Prefer others ahead of yourself. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2. Verses three and four, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, so everyone stop, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in again. Breathe out. Okay. How many of you feel like you're totally failing in these two verses? Go ahead. Okay. Pretty much everyone except you lazy people. All right. Here's the deal. I don't want you to feel condemned, but I do want you to see your need for Jesus. See, when I read these verses, that the ethics of my life as a follower of Jesus is supposed to be this, and I look at my life and I'm like, that's actually not what I'm seeing right now, right? Then we either come and we feel condemned, which the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We saw that in Romans chapter eight, verse one, right? What we realize is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we're not living this stuff out is supposed to drive us into the arms of Jesus. I read this 
And I said, oh, Lord, I need you. And he said, Daniel, you don't even know the half of it. You need me more than you could ever realize. And my friends, listen. Remember I told you, I don't want you to focus on changing your behavior. Where do I want you to focus? On Jesus. Because Jesus has already loved this way. The cross is the proof of Jesus living and loving this way. And Jesus still loves this way right now. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you're coming from, Dave. But what I want to tell you is that Jesus' love for you is without hypocrisy. Jesus knows that you failed. But he clings to his goodness. He, even though he should thrust us away, he draws us close. Because he has kind affections for us as a brother. And as a Lord, he in honor gives preference by dying in our place at the cross. There's nothing you can do to outrun God's love. There's no mistake you can make. He's for you and not against you. He knows that you're flawed. He knows that we struggle. He knows that we don't have it all together. He knows that on our best day, it's still not all that great. And he loves us still. And brothers and sisters, we need to get our eyes focused on Jesus. Because as we abide in Christ, his love for us begins to change the way we love other people. It's his love that drives a new way to be human. A new way to live. And it's not a carnal thing. It's not us pulling ourselves up by the bruise chaps. It's a spirit-inspired transformation. And I don't know about you, but I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years. And I'm grateful for what he's done. And I'm so grateful he ain't finished yet. I love that I'm not what I used to be. Praise God. I never want to go back to those days. I remember them all too well. But I'm also grateful he's not finished with any of us yet. And we have to abide. And as we abide and we get our eyes on the Lord, his right love changes us and changes how we behave. Now, as we move into verse 11, and it's so hard. to I want to take this whole section together, but... You realize that each one of these verses is pregnant with meaning. This is pregnant with like 20 kids, you know, not just like one baby. It's like there's 100 babies in these verses. There's so much for us to learn. And so I'm not going to be able to grab everything, but I want you to spend time here. There's so much here for us. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, I know you're thinking, Fusco, how are you going to give us one big idea out of those verses? And I, I came up with this. Brothers and sisters, we got to follow the verbs. we got to follow the verbs. I've always told you, if you want to know what God is up to, you follow the verbs. Why? Because God is not static. God is dynamic. He's active. Right? The Christian life is not something that's meant to be sit in an easy chair. God is inviting us to simply respond to him in this world. And there are some great verbs here. Right? And all these verbs work together. Now, what's interesting is I think the key to all of these verbs you actually get at the end of verse 11. What does it say there? Serving what? Serving the Lord. I actually believe that all of these verses can be encapsulated by that. That you and I were supposed to be serving the Lord. Now it doesn't say served in the past tense. Served the Lord. It says serving the Lord. 
in the present right now. So as we're serving the Lord, because of his great love for us, there's that old song that used to be saying, those of you who've been around a little bit, you remember the song, I will serve you. Why? Because I love you. Because you gave your life for me. It's an old song, right? We serve him because we love him, right? It's not a duty-bound service. It's a love-based service. Because of his love for us, now we serve the Lord. Now, how should we serve the Lord? Look at what it says in verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. (laughs) That's a tough one, isn't it? Not lagging in diligence. The idea here is, when I think about when something's lagging, something is not moving the speed that it it ought to. I just heard this yesterday because my son Obadiah, he loves playing those video games. And what's amazing is no matter how good our internet is, it always does what for him in the video game world? Lags. All of a sudden, here, Obadiah yelling, oh, the machine just lagged, and he got beat up in the game or whatever, you know? And the thing is, as he said that yesterday, I thought, not lagging in diligence. So the idea is that when we serve the Lord, we want to be able to keep up pace with what God is doing, not lagging in diligence. And isn't it true sometimes when we stop abiding in Jesus, what's the first thing that starts to happen? We start to lag a little bit. Can we just be honest? When things don't go right, don't you just want to lag a little bit? You want to cut a couple corners? Remember I told you I had kind of a rough week? I had a couple of days like that this week where I was just like, man... I just want to throw in the towel. You know what I mean? Don't judge me. And I'm good. Like, I'm still here. You're stuck with me. I'm not letting you all off that easy. But you have those times when you get discouraged, right? And then you're just like, oh, man, forget this. You know? And then I, and sure enough, this week, as I'm preparing this message, I always say, I don't just want to preach a message. I want to live the word of God. Oh, not lagging in diligence. So at that point, when you feel like lagging, what do you do? You lean in a little bit. Because we're serving the Lord. And if Jesus comes back, I don't want to be lagging in diligence. I want to be in the middle of what God's up to. And guess what? When you don't lag in in diligence, what happens? Verse 11, it tells us fervent in spirit. In a lot of ways, I just want to encourage you all. You need to keep your hearts hot. You know what I mean? Like like your spiritual life, you either keep that fire or you let that fire lag. And, and I'll be honest with you. We live in a day and age where actually the goal of our day and age is to make you stop neglecting your spiritual life. Listen, I love social media like the next person. I love having technology in my pocket. But that distraction when you could be praying, worshiping, seeking the Lord, reading a million books except for the Bible. like All these things, the things that stoke out your spiritual life, you got if you want to be fervent in spirit, you got to stoke that stuff out. If you just let that thing languish, no matter how on fire Crossroads is on a weekend, it's not going to light you up like a Christmas tree again. Jesus is Studying passages like this one from Romans 12 can bring your failings to the forefront. But as Pastor Daniel reminded you today, the goal isn't that you feel condemned but that you see your need for Jesus and run to him for help. As Pastor Daniel listed out some of the attributes of a godly life, you learned that serving the Lord was the guiding principle behind all of them. When you abide in Jesus and seek to serve him, you'll see him grow these incredible qualities in you. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, 
and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will continue to share the list of godly character traits found in this passage. You'll learn how a fervent prayer life deepens your walk with the Lord. Being in regular communication with God will grow your relationship with Him because the more you talk with Him, the more you'll get to know Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Amplify. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.